our text today is, well, I tell you, it's two texts. The first one I'm going to actually be starting from will be 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. And then the other one will be Exodus uh, chapter 32. And so, Exodus 32 is where we're going to be going on with these sermons over for the next uh, couple of weeks. But uh, I want to start with 1 John because it establishes a foundation here for it. But let's have a word of prayer and then we'll get started. Father, I pray now that as we go into your word, again, it's your word. And Lord, I want to rightly divide it. I pray that you would be the difference, Lord. Uh, here today, and Lord, I pray that it would be the voice of God in each heart that gives light, gives understanding, and calls to decision. And Lord, I pray that not one, not one of us, Lord, in this auditorium, not one watching live stream, not one listening on radio, would resist the Spirit of God speaking to their heart through the Word of God. Help me, Lord, to speak every word that you'd have me to speak. May the very Holy Spirit give me those words as I preach in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So, to begin this sermon, uh, and some of the sermons are going to follow, I want you to understand that I'm using 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, uh, because it's kind of like a foundation here for this. It's something that we need to understand. It's a utmost importance to keep it in mind as we progress in these sermons because I think that you'll, it'll help you to understand it as we go along. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I want you to have it as we cover this series and be in fervent prayer. I mean fervent prayer that uh, it'd be something that God uses to help you, to speak to your heart, to give you direction, and something that can prepare your heart for what's ahead. The title of this uh, sermon is The Continuing History of Satan's Strategy to Defeat Believers. Now, I can tell you right now, Satan will never, never, never defeat the Lord. Never. He cannot. But, as believers with the free will, God does not interfere with the free will. And you can make wrong decisions. And the Bible is given to us. It was breathed out every word by God. And it was for that purpose that we would have it to recall, to go to, and see how it applies to every situation we face. That's why I say to make it a fervent prayer to understand how the principles that we're going to cover first in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, how they uh, work in every situation that you face. As a matter of fact, in your daily prayer, ask God to help you to grasp what you need to grasp from His Word here. And also to help you to understand something that I think uh, is quite lack in the lives of most Christians. As a matter of fact, I think it's quite lack in the lives of most pastors. Now, that's a, an opinion. That's not a stated fact. That is a, a, an opinion of mine that uh, one thing that lacks greatly is the understanding of the holiness of God. 
if we can get that in our heart and our mind that becomes a part of us, can grasp that understanding, then you will understand much more of the things of God. You'll understand His person. You see, God is holy. Now, I can shake hands uh, with visitors and many of you, and I can say, okay, I, I know Dave Smith. But Diana can tell me some things about Dave that he doesn't want me to know. All right? So, but I know him. She knows how he'll react to certain things. She knows already. She knows. Why? Because they've been married. They know each other. It's important to know and try to understand by the Holy Spirit's help through the Word of God, the holiness of God. Because then you'll come to know His person so much clearer, so much better. And you'll know, no, don't do that. Well, yes, that's something He'd have me to do. Because it in no way interferes with the holiness of God. That justification doesn't come from your own meanderings and things, but it comes from what you learn from God. And so, we need to get a vision of the holiness of God. But I'm going to warn you before, I ever, before you ever start to try that. I'm going to warn you this. If you sincerely ask God to show you His holiness and what it is, it won't be long before you look at yourself and you say, I am filthy. You may even get depressed about yourself. And you'll know the deep cleaning even we as Christians need on a daily basis. So pray that seriously each day to help you to understand the holiness of God. Now as we go to 1 John chapter 2 verses 15 through 17, again, every word here is God-breathed. In other words, they are God's words. They're not John's words. John's the one chosen to write these words. So God's words, he says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now let me just say one thing here. I'm not going to try to get technical throughout this series, but I want you to understand that these verses here that I just read, this first verse, verse 17, in the Greek, and okay, you hear preachers, okay, it's time to go to sleep. You start to say Greek words, okay. But actually in the Greek, it's called a present imperative. The present is the idea, it's ongoing. It just keeps going on and on. The imperative says, you're going to be called into an account, okay. And it's do this or don't do this. In other words, if it's imperative, it means this, and it has that present tense with it. If it's something he's told you not to do, he's saying, stop doing it. And don't allow it to happen again. If it's something that you are to do, he's saying, do it and don't stop. Keep on doing it. Okay, that's what these three verses here are saying to us, all right? And so, uh, it's the idea that when something applies to us from the Word of God, and we begin to say, ah, I don't know, I, I don't want to do that, or nah, I don't think that really works for me. Anything God designs for you works for you. The only thing that keeps it from working is our own inner rebellion 
against it, you see. And so, and that happens to so many. So, whichever applies in do this or don't do it, then follow it as God would say, because there is an accounting coming. Now, he says, if any man loved the world, he is talking about the world system, the culture, the ways that things go of this world. That's what he's talking about. Uh, he says the love of the Father is not in him. Now, when he says the love of the Father is not in him, that does not mean that God doesn't love you. He does. What it means is that the love for God is not in you. You say, well, oh, man, I got him there because I love God. Yet, God doesn't always work by words. He works by seeing what actually is there. And God knows your heart. Do you realize the flood, in the flood of Noah's day, that destroyed all the world except for those eight people on the ark and all the animals that were with them? The Lord saw that the thoughts of the hearts of men were only evil continually. Noah was kept alive and preached 120 years of preaching, preaching righteousness that the world mocked, that the world rejected, and their mocking and rejection led to their eternal death. First, their bodies dying in the lake of fire, and then their spirits ever confined to hell where the fire is not quenched, where the person, that very spirit inside the person, never ceases to exist. Clothed in a new body that is made for hell, but not a body that will cease to exist. He won't have the body or she won't have the body, whichever the case is. They won't have the body they had on earth. That's turning to dust in the uh, grave. But there will be a body that will not disintegrate in the lake of fire, but would fill in, or in the, should I say in hell, let alone the lake of fire, that will fill all the torment, all the pain of the fire that our natural bodies would feel, with the only difference, it cannot pass away. So again, he says, love the Father is not in him, in this verse. If you love the world, if you have that desire to emulate the world, to look like the world, the love of the Father is not in Him. Now think about that. If God says the love of the Father is not in you, it is not in you. Well, I think it is. Well, what you think it is, is not true. You see, Satan is a deceiver. One of his strategy is to make you want to be relevant to and love the world. Now, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. But that, that love was to save them from their sin. That love was to try to offer a way, for the Bible tells us in 1 John 2 and verse 2, 
that he is the propitiation. That means the entire payment for all time. He is the propitiation for our sin, and not for our sin only as saved people, but for the sins of the whole world. All they have to do is turn to him in repentance and faith and give their heart and life to him. That's what it is. Well, I don't want to have to end up going to church, you know, and then I can't, I can't gamble. I, I can't gamble on the Super Bowl tonight because they, uh, you know, I'm going to bet on it and uh, I, I'd be in trouble as a Christian. Or, I, you know, I, if my team wins, we're going to have uh, a party. We're all going to take a drink to the winners. And there's no way in your heart and mind, there's no way in even a smitten of common sense, let alone a whole lot of common sense, that you can justify that before an all-holy God in your heart and mind. If you can, you don't know God. You don't understand His holiness. God is holy. And you say, well, then I don't really understand it. Then, then that's why you seek to know it. That's why you seek to know it. I've... Uh, told several in the past and among preachers and that I wished every Christian college would require every student goes to Christian college at least one entire semester teaching on the holiness of God and if they feel like they're called to be a preacher or missionary an evangelist or something like that then they spend two semesters on it because it is needed why why do uh, churches say well we're going to do this in Jesus' name. We want to honor Jesus. Now, we're going to see more about that later as we get into this. But why do they say, well, you know, if we have a little bit of rock music, we blacken the walls, or we know we put uh, some strobe lights in here maybe and all that, and then we get some groups up here singing and all that, you know, and they, 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 they move around and they're not dressed uh, as if they were going to church or dressed like they were going to some kind of a rock concert. And, and they're up there doing that stuff, uh, but they're using the name of Jesus. Doesn't that make it good? No, that's actually blasphemy. It's actually blasphemy to add Jesus' name to that. And I fear for the preachers and many others who have given in to that blasphemy and have no idea that the Satan is actually doing that to them. There is no joy in my heart if a Christian is just saved so as by fire when he stands before God. So, understand, love of the Father cannot be in a person that wants to be relevant to the world. Verse 16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of the life, is not of the Father, it is of the world. You see, all things must be God's will, God's way, in God's timing. That's the way it must be. It's not what man has designed. Look, there are Christian, when they call themselves Christians, okay, Christian marketers. I get these emails in. We can increase the number in your church. And I want to write, I haven't done it yet, but I want to, can you increase the holiness? Can you increase the righteousness? Can you increase the hate of sin and the love of God? And I think that the, they're not geared for that. 
because they tried to get rid of that in the churches. You see, the lust is a longing, eagerness to possess and enjoy or gain that which satisfies what you may perceive as something that you want. It's what your flesh desires, but not God. Uh, I don't know of anybody in here, so I, I, I can say this uh, without, if it hits somebody, <laughs> duck. Uh, but really, I've been in the ministry years and, and long, enough time to see that Children wanted teenagers, they get to be teenagers, and all these standards the parents had begin to go out the door. Yeah, yeah, well, let's go to that church because they do this. Let's go to that church because they allow that. Let's go to this church. And, and before too long, you see that that little girl's walking out the house dressed like the harlot dresses, as, as uh, Proverbs tells us. And they think they're being good parents. I, I'm not questioning are they saved, I'm just saying they think they're good parents. Problem is, the tears at the judgment seat of Christ, especially the tears when they see their own grandchildren cast into the lake of fire because they would not take a stand and steer them in the right way. And your children might have got saved, but those grandchildren went without hearing the word of God. And knowing and having an example of the way of righteousness and true holiness. What do I think about all these contemporary churches? I would pray that they'd have a revival and get right with God. That's what's important. What will that do to your numbers? It's not about numbers, it's about souls. It's about souls. It's about people that love God. You know, I say it. The congregation here, we see people here, 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 up there, up over on this side. You've got to have at least something of a love for God to be faithful. When so many people are out doing other things on Sunday, it's my only day I get to do this. Oh, why don't you do that on Monday and tell the boss, well, it's the only day I get to do it. <laughs> He'll say, yeah, you get a whole lot more days to do it from now on. Now look. These are things, they want things that actually don't realize that this lust, that desire, is for the flesh, it's not for God. And sometimes we have to put God's name in to justify it in our minds when you know by the word of God it's not right. Remember Satan's temptation of Eve? Boy, that fruit looked very desirable. I mean, she'd eaten of the fruit of the garden, it was good. But something about this fruit looked even better. It was a tree of the knowledge of good and of evil. And that serpent is actually Satan inside that serpent. Begins to talk to her. And so after having had all those other fruits and plenty to take care of. And the lust of the eye saying, it does look good. And now I believe that serpent probably took a bite of the fruit himself and said, that is a tastiest thing. And have you ever seen somebody eat something and, oh man, they're just really loving that. And your mouth begins to water. I believe Satan was able to do that. 
And now it's appealing to their flesh. So now Eve, it hit her eyes, and then it hits her flesh. But this forbidden fruit of the knowledge of good and of evil was built up to be so tasty and good that it was to be a fulfillment. Such a fulfillment in your life because you're missing something, Eve. And it'll make all the other things seem dull and bland in comparison to what you have. She believes it. Although she has never tasted it until now, she believes it. Now something else happens. Because she has seen everything. She's going to taste everything. But you know what? There's still that pride of life. So Satan has to get that and says, you know, if you eat this fruit, God doesn't really want you to eat it because if you do, he knows that in the time you eat it, you're going to be just like God. You're going to be able to reason with God. You're going to be able to talk on that level. You're going to be on that level. Everything's going to be on that level. And, and so you'll be as a God. Now, she knew God. I mean, he came in the cool of the day into the garden. They would hear the voice of God. And so... He makes it so desirable to her eyes and now to her inner person of what it would do in her pride. And that pride becomes an addiction. You know, there are many addictions out there. We talk about drugs. We talk about alcohol. There are addictions to pornography. Uh, Pornography has destroyed families. It has destroyed uh, teenagers. It's just destroyed so many people. And people get addicted to it. Men. And people always in the past said, yeah, just men. Matter of fact, I used to hear preachers say, men, look at pornography. Ladies are the ones that perform pornography. That's not completely true. But, it's not just men, it's women are getting addicted to it in this day. If you don't believe that, talk to some of our counselors in our school. Children. However the devil can get a hold, he'll get a hold, he'll apply to the eyes and to the, the pride of a person, to the flesh, to try to overcome. And you know what? The devil said, he knows that you'll be like him. He knows that you'll be like a God. And he doesn't want you to be up there on that level. What did Satan do? He impugned the holiness and the integrity of the very person of our God. Saying, uh, you'll be like God. But he doesn't want you that way. But it seemed logical to her. Satan can make the world's logic to accept any sin to you if you let him. God is holding her back becomes the idea her pride is coming out now. To be like God 
is to be deceived by the devil, even as Christians still are to this day. Some think if you just add Jesus' name to that which is loose, lax, or licentious, then it makes it all right. And it makes it acceptable. But that's acceptable to the world. That's the relevance to the world. That's not the relevance and the acceptability to our all holy God. You see, that's been the story from the day of Adam and Eve to this very day for believers, those that believed in God. It's been the very story that goes on time after time after time. And then we hear other stories from the, uh, the devil. And it's not new as it, some think it is today. Say, well, you know, a good God wouldn't send people to a place like hell. If he was good, he wouldn't do that. Uh, I'm doing the best I can. I haven't murdered. Well, we just talked about pornography. Well, well, that's different. No, it's not. It's a different kind of a sin, but it's still sin. Don't, don't, don't do that to yourselves and just uh, be the one that fools your own self. And, and, and the devil convinces people in a lot of these things that it's all right. Hey, it's not that bad. And I find that there are men and women with education that has a lot of degrees after their names. But God is the creator of all and thinking that you can understand and that you know better than God is far above anything that is holy and righteous. It instead is wrapped up in clothes. In filth. And parents, let me say this and say this without apology. Your children have the cellular devices, they have all the things where they can get online or they can go look at this and look at that. Oh, my child will never do that. Well, next time you buy them something, uh, get something that you have the same thing and it attaches what they're doing to you. Any, text they get, any email they get, any, anything they get, it comes to you too. Anything they watch, it shows what they're watching. And what comes? The devil gives teenagers and, and, and kids, they, a lot, even husbands and wives, it gives them that same thing. You don't trust me. And the truth of the matter is, I don't trust the devil. And the devil is stronger than you. He's smarter than you. That's how he could deceive uh, Eve. And he has deceived so many down through the ages. He is smarter than we are. But he's not God. But he knows how to take man, even with all of his education, and fool him so that he'll be able to do the thing that he wants to do to God, is rob him and cause his soul to reject God and go to hell where he will be forever and ever. 
Now, my friend, you're letting your kids do that. He said, well, my child has to have a telephone because they may need to get in touch with me. Give them a flip phone. You say that to the kids. I wish that preacher would keep his mouth shut. I don't want a flip phone. Why? It's to get in touch. Now, you say, well, I trust my kids. Do you think your child is a lot more, has a lot more savvy in education? Do you realize how many people have earned doctorates that are falling to these things? Now, I asked you, do you think your child is far above that, that they would never get them? You know how many teenage girls that I've talked to that were told, watch yourself, watch yourself out there, you're going to end up pregnant, you're going to have a child out of wedlock. That would never happen to me, and it happened. It happened. Now look, I've pointed out some of those scenarios, not all that we could point out, but I just wanted to get this started because the devil has a strategy against you even though you're saved, if you are saved. He has a strategy. He knows your weaknesses. He's going to tell you. That's why you've got to draw closer to the Lord and know Him more and more and more and more. Why should you be faithful to God's house? Because God might give you something through a sermon that wakes you up and protects you from a loss of reward, protects you from seeing your children being cast into the hell. Maybe He'll give you something for it. Get in His Word so you're equipped. Now, friends, we've seen it too much. Once is too much, but it's, no, it's more of a majority than just one or two. When you're looking to justify things that are questionable, you're wrong. You say, I don't see anything with my kids going to the movies. I don't see anything with my kids watching those things on there. Okay. Well, where do they learn the things that the world learns? They're learning them at those theaters. They're learning, well, they're hard to go to theaters, I'm told, anymore. But they're learning them on their devices and everything else, besides other kids telling them about it. Wake up. Wake up. We're in serious times now. How can God bring revival to America if His people in the churches are not holy? There's got to be a change. Now, there may be people in churches that are not saved. That's the first thing you have to look at. I'm not asking you, did you say a prayer? Hey, somebody sat down with me and they said, if I'd say this prayer, I'd be saved and then I'm all right from there on. Uh, no. As I, I've told you many times before, when I do a Wedding, I started to say funerals about the same thing. Uh, but uh, when I do a wedding, um, we have a rehearsal. Do you realize that man and lady say the same words that night in rehearsal they'll say the next day at the wedding? But when they walk out of here, they're not married. It's not till the next day that they've come in and they do that again, but this time it's before witnesses. We say before God, and it's a life commitment. When they walk out, they're not going to go their separate ways. 
when they walk out, it's a life commitment. When we receive Christ, it's a life commitment. My friend, Jesus will never walk out on you. Don't walk out on him because he doesn't divorce you. Instead, he chastens his own. Sometimes he takes his own home for their sin, but he's taking them home, not to hell. Realize, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. That includes this preacher, by the way. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. What is the glory of God? That's Jesus Christ. If he wants to, man, I'm, I've seen some of those Christians in your church, and I'm better than they are. Well, that's fine, but why are you comparing yourself to them? Why is it we always look for the hypocrite to compare ourselves to? Why, why do we compare ourselves to hypocrites? Look, Jesus died for us, but He is the glory of God, and we're not compared to one another. We're compared to Jesus Christ, and we all fall short of the glory of God. We continually fall short of the glory of God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You come to that by saying, all right, believing that Jesus Christ was God come in the flesh. And He came to this earth. He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. And He died on a cross for every sin I ever have or ever will commit. He's paid for them already, even before I was born. But if I will come to Him confessing I'm a sinner and giving Him my heart and life and asking Him to come to my heart and save me, He will do it. He will do it. And you can do that today. You can do that in this church this morning. And when you walk out of here, See, a lot of people may walk out without Christ, and so they walk out just like the rehearsal. No, I want you to walk out of here together. Wherever you go, He's there. Wherever you are, He's there. And always be aware, there's not going to be any place in this world that you'll go that Christ is not there, which is a good thing. Are you willing to make that commitment to Christ? Do you believe He actually died for you and rose from the dead? He did. Are you willing for Him to come to your life and cleanse you and save you from your sin, your sin's penalty, and give you everlasting life? If you'll do that, He said, for whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He'll save you and He'll do it today. Won't you come? Let's bow our heads, please.